everybody, it is Thursday, January 9th, 2019. No, it's 2020, holy cow. And you're listening to an episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Ezelike, and we're here to talk about car news, car culture, and car whatever. Uh, if you can't already tell, I am a little bit under the weather. I am suffering from that cold that has been going around here in the Midwest. Uh, we're on the final little details. It's amazing how good I actually feel. Uh, but like my head is still just plugged up in the weirdest of spots right now. It's like my ear and it's, it sucks. It sucks real bad. But anyway, guys, as much as things suck real bad, uh, we're going to talk about some car news, uh, in this episode. Uh, first up, we're going to wrap up some of the things coming out of CES. Uh, there were a lot of interesting announcements this year that, uh, well, they couldn't materialize into a very interesting, practical family car. Uh, in the next two years, or it could be an extremely futuristic, nonsense, crazy person's vehicle in the next two years. Uh, you'll hear me complain a lot about the two-year prospects of electric vehicles at CES. Uh, second news story to t- kind of touch on, uh, and I, I might ramble just a little bit as I am here, is with Nissan and Carlos Goshen. Uh, there was an interesting uh column, I don't know if you want to call it column or a story, whatever it is, uh, an auto blog today that talked about how uh, sales are down at Nissan by over 10%, or not quite 10%, I guess, but uh, sales are down, things are bad, Goshen's escaped Japan, he's saying lots of bad things about Nissan, uh, it's anybody's guess on how to save it, uh, so we'll just kind of reflect on that a bit. And then last up, a news story that hasn't really been reported by anybody else other than uh, the Fastlane truck out in Colorado. Uh, And much of that has to do with the new Tundra that's supposed to be coming for 2021, but also a new crossover from Toyota that hasn't been around for a bit. One that I am very, very excited about. That's what you call a tease right there, a tease. So with all that and more guys, after the bump, we'll talk about some of the news stories from CES 2020. So CES has not quite completely wrapped up this week, but we're we're on that uh, trailing edge of announcements uh, for the big consumer electronics show out in Las Vegas. Uh, the show kind of seems to be taking a little bit of the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Some of the uh, bits and bobs that would have been at the Detroit Auto Show that normally would start this week here in Michigan. Uh, and uh, it, it's a lot of... Uh, You know, uh, far-reaching weird things get shown off there. Uh, One thing that springs to mind, at least in terms of far-reaching and crazy things, uh, is a new Hyundai-manufactured flying car that Uber's going to use as a transport vehicle. Uh, They keep talking about stuff like this. I I honestly think it's never going to happen. Apparently there was a big PR kerfuffle where Hyundai was like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. And Uber's like, yeah, you are. And they're like, oh, maybe... Uh, just a huge waste of time, I feel like, in a lot of those kinds of things. But there were some more interesting, pragmatic car things that were happening that are definitely worth a good bit more of attention. Uh, One of the first big things to talk about is the Fisker Ocean. I believe we talked about it a couple weeks ago on the show. Uh, The Fisker Ocean is uh, the follow-up to the Fisker Karma that came out back around the beginning of the previous decade. Uh, That, if you don't remember, was basically a Chevy Volt uh, that looked kind of like a Corvette, a four-door Corvette. Uh, The car sold in some capacity across the country. It was right around the time the Tesla Model S came out. 
And when the Tesla Model S just ended up creaming it, uh, Fisker ended up falling apart. Uh, the car ended up being sold to Bob Lutz. Bob Lutz stuck Chevy V8s in it. Uh, it, it just a weird situation that that ended up becoming. But Fisker itself uh, is coming back with a crossover that's going to be uh, apparently available as soon as the end of next year, uh, which again, the two-year rule with a lot of these electric cars that you're seeing is that a lot of times these things get announced, they're always two years away, two years away, two years away. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Oh my God. As I said, I'm dying. Uh, there is a uh, a lot to be said, I guess, about this thing. Uh, the, the, the big shocker is, of course, that Fisker is announcing that this crossover is going to be available uh, starting at like $37,500 and with the tax credit, it ends up being just under thirty grand. Uh, you can get the subscription service to it where you got to put down like a down payment. I think it's like $3,000 and then you pay month to month and that includes insurance, uh, which, you know, in the end might end up being a pretty good deal for some people, but you're also going to be able to buy the car as well. Uh, the weird thing that I had before going into this event is that we do, had at least seen photos of the ocean uh, in terms of the exterior, but we had never seen photos of the interior. Finally, we've seen the interior now, and it's lacking a lot of the... Hmm, this is both a good thing and a bad thing, uh, I would say. It's lacking a lot of the visual finesse that you would tend to expect with where things seem to be going uh, with electric cars, uh, at least in terms of announcements. Uh, or this year at CES and a lot of other vehicles where it's screens, screens everywhere. The bigger the screen, the better. Uh, the more information you can put on a screen, the more it's going to be used by the driver and the passenger. Uh, screens are the future. And the ocean doesn't really have that. It's got one main screen on the dashboard, just like a Tesla. Uh, it doesn't have any other real gimmicky things in there other than lighted headrests, which don't seem to make a ton of sense. Uh, but overall, I have to say it's a pretty competent vehicle. The main problem is going to be who's going to build it, how in the hell are they going to be able to get these to people all over the country, and then 3C, I don't know what you want to call it, how the hell these things are going to be serviced. Uh, Fisker had a absolutely tiny footprint uh, with the previous effort that they did. Um, I, from what I understand, it was quite an issue if you had a problem with a car to get anything repaired. So, you know, I, I assume that they're going to be trying to find some kind of partner in this situation, but I just, I don't know how this is going to work, uh, and unless this is going to be something that's focused entirely on the West Coast and the East Coast, and then maybe it moves inland eventually, uh, yeah, but uh, overall, it, it, it looks the part, it looks less special than I think it needs to be, which is kind of a good thing because that gives some indication that it is a buildable vehicle, uh, but at the same time, you know, because it isn't that special, is it going to be that much of a sales success when compared to a Tesla Model Y? Uh, one quick note, as I mentioned those words, Tesla Model Y, uh, they are going to be beginning production of that vehicle in China. It was announced earlier this week. Uh, so these things are going to be starting to roll off the, off the assembly lines quite fast. Now, it's going to be a little while longer until we start seeing them in the United States, but uh, the Chinese-made ones are going to be a little more affordable 
And it kind of goes back to a conspiracy theory. Now, I can't remember if I said it on this podcast or if I said it to my friend, uh, but my hypothesis was that uh, Elon and Tesla were trying to crack open the Chinese market, fight the tariffs as best they could so that they could manufacture the Y in China and ship it back to the U.S. uh, because it would probably be much more affordable, uh, at least for them, to build, and the margin would be that much bigger on this vehicle that's likely going to outsell the Model 3, which is already selling quite well. Anyway, get back, getting back to the CES news, uh, the Ocean seems like it's going to be a good competitor to the Model Y if it does eventually come out, but that remains to be seen, I guess, at this point, uh, given the track record of the company before. <clears throat> now, speaking of other electric automobile companies that have a shaky track record, Faraday Future actually showed up with a real driving prototype of the FF91. Um, if you don't remember what exactly that is, uh, Faraday Future is the Chinese company, in air quotes, that's based in, I think, Las Vegas or Los Angeles. I'm confused on which one it is because uh, it's been a really complicated mess of stuff with Faraday Future. Uh, more or less, uh, big Chinese firms got behind this thing with tons and tons and tons of money. Uh, and Faraday Future has basically been vaporware at this point. Um, a lot of people had been very critical of the company. Uh, they've fired you know, hundreds and hundreds of engineers and designers and so much else. It's just been an absolute mess. Well, they showed up at CES with an actual prototype that appears to be relatively close to production ready, and Faraday Future seems to be indicating that they want to have this car on sale end of this year, early next year, pending some major investments that they're counting on uh, to keep things moving forward. Now, what did we learn about this car uh, in terms of, well, comparing it to anything else? Not all that much. Uh, The Faraday Future uh, FF91 looks kind of like a space age crossovery type coupe thing. Um, it's kind of a weird vehicle to describe. Uh, it is meant to be a Tesla Model S competitor, but it's got more of a teardrop, uh, bubbly shape that makes it almost crossover like. Um, in a weird way, I feel like it's more like a Mustang Mach E than it is like a Model S, but it's big. Uh, It it kind of defies description a little bit. Uh, Nevertheless, I mean, it looks pretty good on the interior. Uh, The the first rides and drives that were being talked about uh, online through The Verge and many other automotive magazines uh, seem to indicate that it, you know, rides pretty well, handles pretty well. It definitely gets up and goes. Uh, This thing has over a thousand horsepower. Um, However, you convert it from electric ghosty numbers to, uh, you know, old dyno numbers uh, is the way it works. And this thing is meant to be a performance powerhouse that, you know, <coughs> excuse me, uh, is going to take take a, a beating stick to Tesla. And I, I think there's still a lot that needs to be proved by Faraday Future to make that actually happen. Um, but it's kind of nice to see it existing. What was also interesting to see with the car, and a couple of people online pointed out, and uh, I, I noticed it too with some of those initial photographs, was that the seats in the car were very well worn. It looks like this prototype had been driven quite a bit, or they sourced seats from some vehicle that uh, were very well worn. To me, they look like the seats out of like a Buick, like a newer Buick. I don't know if that means anything to anyone. Uh, they looked like Buick seats. And uh, overall, you know, it, it, it just, it, it, 
again, kind of like the Fisker Ocean. It has this tangible feeling of looking like something that you're going to be able to buy in the not-too-distant future, which is great. I mean, that's awesome. I, I want to see more of these cars out to be able to compete with Tesla. Uh, but this is a brand that has, you know, no construction or, or no manufacturing infrastructure, has no dealership network, has no uh, real plan to make things happen. Uh, and it, it's I, it's still vaporware, I guess, at this point. And as much as it does seem like a pretty good vehicle overall, uh, I definitely have my doubts, to say the least. Uh, one thing that is interesting to note as we're talking about Faraday Future uh, is the other Tesla killer that was announced, I think, a year or two years ago at CES, which did not show up this year, uh, which is Lucid Motors. Lucid Motors uh, maybe had the most credible Tesla Model S competitor uh, that was at least available, or at least in design-wise, uh, two years ago, and that car hasn't been mentioned in anything that I've read. Uh, Lucid is another company that has gone through a lot of different funding and design and engineering things. Uh, it's one that we heard a lot about, and then we've heard almost nothing about, and I really don't really know what's happening to it. <coughs> Excuse me again. Uh, I don't really know what if that's a good thing or a bad thing because at least with Faraday Future you heard almost too much you heard about all the bad things that were happening uh and with Lucid it's been radio silence so we'll see you know if they end up coming around the corner again it's always the two-year thing they promised uh, several years ago it was two years out um I think if you were to ask them again they would probably say two years out so uh we'll see what happens there now another electric car company that had a very promising debut uh, a year or so ago at ces brought another prototype this year and that is m byte uh, m byte is a kind of a collaboration of a bunch of different uh, vehicle designers and engineers who have come from i think it was mostly bmw and a couple other german auto manufacturers and this is going to end up being a Chinese subsidy of another major corporation again. And at one point in time, M-Byte kind of looked like it would be the first of the big Chinese brands that would be able to make it to the U.S. Uh, but again, it's the two-year, two-year, two-year uh, window that is kind of keeping them away. Uh, the big thing with the M-Byte, if you don't remember the debut a few years ago, was the screens. A uh, huge screen across the dashboard. I think it's like a 40 eight or 49 inch screen across the dash. Uh, there was a screen in the uh, center of the steering wheel and there was a screen on the armrest uh, that would all operate different functions of the vehicle, uh, including infotainment, uh, maps, uh, general like HVAC controls, uh, general radio controls. I mean, it was just an absolutely overwhelming number of screens. And, you know, several years ago when they first rolled that out, I think it was... <clears throat> not exactly the, well, I don't want to say it was the craziest thing we'd ever seen in terms of automotive concepts, uh, but it was downright alien in the way it was because everyone is so used to tactile buttons and switches that moving everything to a screen seemed so alien. And now in 2020, we see so many cars that are almost entirely screens and outright lack switches, knobs, and buttons uh, that it seems weird when it does have that in some cases. Uh, with the M-Byte, you know, they mostly talked about in their, at least their press conference, uh, about how they're going to be a platform. They're looking for apps. They're looking for integrations with uh, other technology partners. Uh, I think like BlackBerry is doing this info security on their cars. Um, there were some other partners. I'm 
completely forgetting a lot of things that were mentioned there, but uh, it's interesting how they're approaching it, uh, I guess is maybe a good way to say that. M-Byte is saying that they want to make the car part of your daily life, and this is kind of something that Neo, I guess, had talked about over in China uh, a while back, where you get in, uh, the car recognizes that it's you, it's able to monitor your uh, health stuff so you know it would be able to see that you know maybe you've gained weight or uh that you're very tired or things like that and it would be able to work with different things to figure out your life for you uh which seems kind of cool but also kind of weird uh you know a couple years ago i think you know as the verge pointed out a couple years ago it that would have been really neat, a really novel thing, a thing where a car is part of your daily life. I think I talked about it on the show where I, where I said that that was a very novel idea. And now in 2020, in the dystopian nightmare that we all exist in, uh, the idea that your car would know everything about you, when a story just came out about how these cars are maybe the least secure technology items that you own, uh, that's kind of scary that it would know who you are, where you're going, uh, how your health is, uh, be able to talk to, you know, insurance or uh, <laughs> government agencies or whatever it is, uh, is kind of weird. So Mbyte's got to kind of walk that road a little bit. Um, but I guess the prototypes that were there are still very drivable, uh, getting uh, at least back to the car-car aspect. Uh, the car is there. It's a thing. They're saying it's going to be sold here soon. But again, it's like two years, two years, two years. Everybody's saying two years, and it was two years, two years ago. So, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I, I, I guess I just don't really know what to say in that regard. Now, the most interesting automotive thing to probably come out of CES this year is, of course, the announcement that Sony had built a working EV prototype uh, that they brought out on stage uh, at the very end of their uh, whole thing. Uh, this car had been co-developed with Magna, with Gentex, with so many other uh, automotive parts companies and uh, technology companies. And Sony's main thing with this car is that they wanted to build an expression of where their technology is and how they can also help the automotive industry improve what they already have. So think of Sony as an electronics company. What do they do? They build, you know, they build cameras, they build uh, high capacity lenses, they build uh, infotainment systems, they build uh, you know, PCs, cell phones, so many other things. And they wanted to build a vehicle that is able to reflect all of the things that they could do uh, to help, you know, car companies like Ford or General Motors or Toyota or Nissan or anyone else uh, to improve the car electric vehicles that they're working on. Now, the interesting thing about this Sony electric car, the, I think they call it the Vision S, is that this thing looks like it's ready to go. Like it's like it, it this thing looks like it is a car that you could walk into a dealership and buy today and it wouldn't look out of place. You could probably presumably drive this thing at least in terms of the videos that they were showing uh had like almost 300 or 300 miles of range uh could accelerate like relatively quickly. I think it's like 5 seconds 0 to 60. So not insane, but you know, pretty good. It's got Brembo brakes like this car looks like it's something tangible. 
And this is like what I love about where CES is going is that some companies are shooting for the moon, which is great. And other ones are going, look what we can do right now with what we have off the shelf. And with these partners, we could build a car today if you really, really wanted it. Now, Sony is saying that they have no interest of actually building the thing, um, but they're taking feedback from people who might be interested in it. And it just, it has me thinking <coughs> if Sony was smart, uh, why wouldn't you want to try to move this into a partnership with a current car company? I my 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 brain automatically went to Ford weirdly enough and I know that this is a bad place to go because Ford signed that deal with Volkswagen to use the uh, MEB architecture but uh, Ford is a company that's been working with Sony for the last few years with infotainment inside of their automobiles and it's been a pretty fruitful partnership I would say this seems like this would be a great Ford Fusion follow-up. Uh, there was a big story about how the Ford Fusion has been selling exceptionally well in the U.S., uh, way beyond what Ford had forecasted as they planned to sunset the vehicle. And they've actually extended the sunset uh, another two years because uh, the sales have been so good. And uh, this car just seems like something that would fit in that uh, part of the market. You know, it would definitely have a cost premium, uh, but really it's not a completely alien experience. Uh, perhaps the only thing about the Vision S concept that I think would take some getting used to for a lot of people is the entirely digital dashboard, which stretches from all the way to the left of the driver, all the way to the right of the passenger, and you can use it to, you know, watch movies, play music, read books so on and so forth. Apparently there's some interactive uh, elements with that where you can like flick stuff back and forth between the driver and the passenger and back to the rear passengers to some extent. It's, it wasn't super clear. Uh, for a car that I think drew up all of this or dug up all of this uh, interest and other thing, uh, Sony really wasn't talking all that much about it. So who knows? But it was a very exciting car. It's a very good-looking car. Uh, be very excited to drive it in Gran Turismo Sport, I'm sure, in the next couple of months. But uh, in the meantime, uh, CES 2020, um, overall, just a, pr a pretty interesting show when it comes to automotive news uh, altogether. And it definitely uh, points some interesting directions forward for the automobile manufacturers, at least in terms of where they think they're going. Uh, Audi and Mercedes also had some uh, electric vehicle uh, dream machines, almost nightmare machines in a weird way, uh, with how futuristic they looked. They were just downright strange. Uh, Chrysler had the airflow concept, which we talked about last week. Uh, these things are going back to the crazy concept era of the late 90s and the early 2000s, and I'm kind of excited to see that. But uh, yeah, the real tangible, practical stuff was there. And <clears throat> as much as you know, I, I, I make fun of the two-year, 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 two-year promise. Uh, it really does feel like the electric car future is going to be here, hopefully, by 2022. So, Nissan and Carlos Goshen is a hot topic here in the U.S. right now for many different reasons. One, uh, at least with Nissan, sales are down 10% 2018 to 2019. Uh, they are in an absolute free fall in the marketplace uh, simply because they don't have the products that they need to meet customers' demands uh, and they 
like uh, many other things, like we talked about in CS, they're in this two-year, two-year cycle that, you know, they need a new rogue. This is a prime prime spot to talk about. The rogue is an SUV. I think it's the third or fourth best-selling vehicle in the United States. It's not an F-150. It's not a pickup truck. Um, they build a ton of them. They sell a ton of them. A lot of them are sold with incentives. They're sold on the idea that they're a great value. Eh, you know, reliability. Eh, you know, uh, fuel economy. Eh, you know, whatever. But it's it's the fact that it's the relatively affordable, relatively comfortable, relatively quiet vehicle that's available for twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars that gets the job done. <clears throat> Nissan's been really riding on that train for quite a while with the Altima and the Rogue. Now the Altima got its refresh last year, year before. Uh, time is flying in a weird way, um, but the Altima sales haven't really been quite what they wanted. Nissan blamed the kicks for part of it, which seems particularly stupid. They also blamed the Rogue for part of it, which seems particularly stupid. Uh, but the Altima is a very good car. That, that's not really the main thing. But the Rogue <clears throat> is a vehicle that sold exceptionally well five or six years ago, and it's completely flatlined. And it's because it's just not class competitive anymore. And Nissan has been dragging their feet for years and years and years about building a new Rogue because they didn't want to spend the money on development and engineering and all that stuff uh, to get it out in time for the new CRV and the new RAV4. Uh, this new Rogue isn't apparently going to be coming out next year. It's apparently going to be quite an improvement over the current vehicle. Uh, more or less, I would expect it to be a Nissan Altima on stilts, which is what the Rogue basically is to begin with. And... Uh, <clears throat> Boy, you know, uh, coming out in 2021, uh, what is what are we now? We're the better part of five years after the CRV debuted. Uh, that's going to be what two model years after the new Rav4 has arrived. Uh, this thing is, without a doubt, a latecomer to a party where Honda ultimately is going to be coming out with a brand new CRV within a year or two of this vehicle happening. And it just smacks of incompetence at Nissan. And from what it sounds like, it is turtles all the way down uh, in this process. Uh, if you haven't been following what's going on with Carlos Goshen, uh, he held a big press conference today after his escape, his frickin' Mission Impossible Pink Panther fucking escape from Japan. Uh, this guy is... <clears throat> what's a good way to put this? Of all of the automotive CEOs, uh, head of product, head of whatever, man, he, he's one of the dudes. Uh, you know, you, you think of men like Lee Iacocca, you think of uh, DeLorean, you think of Bob Lutz. Uh, boy, uh, Carlos Goshen's in that same, same neck of stuff where this dude was the company uh, he, he, he ran a pretty tight ship and this guy was viewed as one of the got people who could save, uh, Renault and Nissan years ago. This was the guy who was threatening Toyota and Honda and GM and Ford and so many others. And, you know, he was viewed as this strategist that just knew what he was doing and could get through any situation. And it ended up, he was embezzling, uh, millions of dollars from Nissan he got ratted out. Uh, basically, he got forced out of the job. Uh, he's been under house arrest in Japan. Uh, it was looking like he was going to have to serve 15 years of jail time in Japan for embezzling all this money. And he ended up escaping uh, from his house arrest uh, through the aid of private military people. Uh, somehow he traveled from his home like three hours south, got on a plane, 
to Turkey and then to Lebanon, where he is now. It's a whole just insane story. And <clears throat> on the one hand, you know, his complaint that the Japanese justice system is rigged is uh, probably partially true. 99% uh, of trials end up in conviction of the defendant. Uh, there's a good chance that he would not be able to accurately defend himself in this thing. But when it looks like he probably did actually steal the money, maybe, you know, you shouldn't have stole the money kind of thing. Uh, there's other people on the opposite side of this who say uh, they think that he was being framed uh, to get him out of the company, uh, to end the relationship with Reno and Mitsubishi uh, for Nissan. Uh, who who knows at this point? It, it, it's, it's a big mess. But he talked about how Nissan had a lot of opportunities to change what they were doing uh, as a company, and they refused. And it's weird to hear somebody say that as the guy who was in charge of Nissan, because he ultimately was the person who could have led the charge for change when it came to development and design and R&D and so many other things. And he ultimately chose not to. He's the guy who got Nissan, the company that really seriously threatened Toyota, you know, 15 years ago, like, Nissan was coming, man. Like, they had a, an all-star lineup of cars in the early mid-aughts. Like, they were doing gangbusters, man. They were selling like crazy. Then the Rogue came out, and the Rogue was killing it. The Xterra was killing it. The Frontier was killing it. The Titan was doing better than people expected. Like, Nissan was on a freaking roll, and then the last decade unfolded, and <clears throat> just everything withered and died under poor leadership of Goshen and Denishin and all of these other people, and it just sucks. It sucks to see. And, you know, he, he talked about how uh, they're, they missed a big opportunity by merging with FCA. Um, FCA was... Uh, FCA, of course, you know, Fiat Chrysler Automotive, they, they, this was the big story at the beginning of the year that they were going to merge, and then it just completely blew up within a week. And he, he claims that that partnership would have saved the company because they would have had all these resources to basically build Nissan-branded Jeep Grand Cherokees and Dodge Rams and so many other things. I need to stop calling it Dodge Ram. Holy cow. Ram 1500s, all these different things that would have basically bailed out the company in terms of crossovers and SUVs. And I, I, yeah, maybe, I guess, but it's interesting thinking of his perspective on that right there versus what we now know in the Peugeot uh, FCA, our partnership merger that's going on, where FCA basically had no expertise in small cars. And to be honest with you, as much as they do have expertise in crossovers and SUVs, uh, it's not exactly like they're eager to get the ball rolling. Uh, the Grand Cherokee's been around for more than a decade now on a basically uh, exact same platform. Uh, the smaller crossovers and SUVs are based on Alfa Romeo chassis that are quite old. Like, there's... <clears throat> it's, it, I don't know. It, it, it's an interesting thing to see from different perspectives because I really honestly don't think Fiat Chrysler would have helped Nissan along that much when it came to crossovers and SUVs because their crossovers and SUVs aren't that much better than what Nissan already offers. They were just looking for a handout to not have to develop a new Nissan Rogue, a new Nissan Pathfinder, a new Nissan Titan, which makes sense. But at the same time, you know, I don't think FCA would have benefited that much from having 
Nissan platforms under, you know, a, a Chrysler 200 replacement, a Dart replacement, you know, things like that. So that's bad. <laughs> that's just a bad thing. And then Goshen was talking about how uh, apparently he was offered quite a large sum of money to go run GM at one point. And, you know, I there was a comment, I think it was in the Jalapnik article, where it was just like, you know, this guy wanted to go run GM. Like, we've seen GM fight and kill outsiders in the leadership of that company so many different times. And it's known as a very toxic company uh, to outside thought and outside management. And it just seems like that would have not worked out in any way, shape, or form either. So him saying he should have taken the job just seems downright crazy too. But overarching, overall, the thing is with Nissan, and, and it's really a heartbreaker for me, is that they do make some really good cars, and they do make some really good trucks. They're just not good enough, if that makes sense. Uh, the the new Nissan Altima, the new Nissan Sentra, the new Nissan Versa, they're all new. Uh, well, I guess the Altima's been around for another year, for a year or so more than the other ones. But these are cars that are coming out in the face of the entire industry shifting its weight towards crossovers and SUVs. Uh, these cars are, by all considerations, every review that I've read, very, very good. Uh, basic transportation vehicles, even in the luxury trims, they're very comfortable, they're very quiet. Um, as much as I have reservations about the transmissions that they're putting in them, uh, it sounds like they're going to be very good cars long term. And, you know, they're offering them at relatively competitive prices. The bigger problem is, you know, the Honda Civic, which came out in 2016, which was actually candle- calendar year 2015, so this car's five years old at this point is still better than the new Nissan Sentra. And it's it's embarrassing in many regards where, you know, this car that's older still seems like the better choice. And, you know, part of that comes down to me wanting a thing that's got more driving feel and road feel and so much else. Um, but the truth of the matter is the Honda's also probably going to hold its value a good bit better than what this Nissan will. And that's another damning situation to be in is that Nissan just can't get out of their way when it comes to reliability and dependability and overall comfort and refinement and so much else that they're just vehicles just don't hold up and I'm thinking of you know the Nissan Titan Uh, Nissan Titan just got redesigned uh, after two years for 2020 it's got a little design refresh Uh, they added a much nicer infotainment system with Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. Um, They dropped some unnecessary uh, powertrain and trim options that were made available. And ultimately, the Titan ends up becoming a very competitive product against, you know, the Toyota Tundra, the Ram 1500, the GMC Sierra, so on and so on. But you would have to almost be stupid. I don't want to say stupid. That's maybe not a good way to put it. You would have to be very committed to getting a Nissan Titan in order to choose it over an American pickup truck. Uh, It it just seems so weird to say that because I really like the Nissan Titan. I have to be honest with you. Like, it's a really nice truck. It's a good-looking truck. It's very capable. You know, it does a lot of things the right way um, as a big American truck would do, but it just lacks the refinement that the Ram 1500 has, it lacks the powertrain prowess that GM has, and it lacks the, I'm going to use the words innovation with some reservations here, uh, that the F-150 has had. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, uh, I don't know. But like, you know, the Titan, 
you know, you're going to end up buying a Titan probably for a price that is greater, even with some level of discounts, than what a comparable Ram, Chevy, or Ford is going to be with their discounts, just because that's the way things work. And then even after owning it for five years, you're going to end up being way off on depreciation compared to some of the other American trucks. And it just, uh, it's just a mess and it sucks. And it's like, I think of something like the Nissan Juke. Prime example. Nissan Juke was a very clever, very well-timed, very well-executed crossover uh, in the market. It sold pretty damn well in Asia, in Europe, and here in North America. And Nissan pulled it uh, to bring in the Nissan Kicks, uh, which is based on the old uh, Nissan Versa. Uh, the Kicks is, by all considerations, a very good little vehicle. I really like it a lot. Uh, you've heard my review on this podcast. It's a great little crossover. Uh, but what it lacks is the all-wheel drive and the fun that the Juke had. Well, Europe now has a new version of the Juke. And it looks fantastic. It looks like a relatively normal car, as normal as a Juke can get. Uh, it's, it's appropriately sized. It's got fun elements uh, inside and out. It sounds like it, it is a very good little crossover. And Nissan's going, nah, we're not going to bring that to the U.S. Why? Why would we? We've got the kicks. We've got the Rogue Sport. Why would we bring that to the U.S.? That makes no sense. What? Why? Why would you make that decision not to bring the Juke here? It's a brand that has clout. People like the Juke. Why would you not do that? Yes, it might eat some sales from the kicks. Yes, it might eat some sales from the Rogue Sport. But holy shit, do you want to make some money or not, dude? Like, oh, it just, it's... It's a level of incompetence in management and anticipating trends that just seems unrivaled as of late. Uh, the only company I could think of that's worse is Volkswagen of North America, who have been perpetually bad since the late 90s. Uh, maybe Mitsubishi, but Mitsubishi has more to do with lack of sales than anything else and lack of anything that... Uh, that's That's a whole separate mess, but... Man, Nissan, it's 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 wild. I, I, I honestly hope that 2020 is a better year with Nissan. I hope that seeing the new Rogue turns some things around for some people. I hope that the new cars do sell well to some extent. Uh, but things, I think, are going to get bad at Nissan before they get any better. And uh, yeah, we'll have to see what 2020 holds for the Nissan brand. So last story is, of course, well, about something we don't really know a whole lot about. Uh, TFL Truck out in Colorado, uh, they first reported this earlier this week, or maybe it was late last week at this point. Uh, but uh, they've been talking a lot about the 2021 uh, Toyota Tundra being a thing that would debut in Chicago this year. Uh, because the Tundra that we currently have is quite old. I think the initial release of the current chassis of the Tundra was in 2007. So we're looking at 13 years old at this point uh, for the Tundra. And, you know, it's had some upgrades and other things that have kept it, you know, relevant over those years. But more or less, you know, the same Tundra you buy now is the same that you bought years and years and years ago. And they've been really good trucks when they came out. They were a very credible threat, uh, particularly to the Ram 1500, definitely to the Nissan Titan. Uh, it, it was a very well-received truck, but it couldn't hold a candle to what GM and Ford were doing. And as time went on, you know, Toyota upgraded and 
you know, it, it's a truck where, uh, what's a good way to put it? The same way I feel about the Titan. It's a very good truck for a very good group of people who know exactly what they want to get. <clears throat> and with the Tundra, you're getting a truck that's going to be outrageously dependable, incredibly reliable. Like these things go millions of miles, apparently, without needing like significant amount or significant amounts of work. Uh, but they just aren't class competitive when it comes to, you know, infotainment, luxury items, ride quality, so on and so forth. The American trucks have just continued to drive forward in a way that just blows Nissan and Toyota out of the water. Uh, but a new Tundra coming likely would have changed all of that. And I would fare a bet that the new Tundra probably would have been very competitive with the Ram 1500, uh, at least in terms of refinement, quality, probably performance. Like, uh, I, I think Toyota knows where the ball needs to be at, and I think that's what they're swinging for. Uh, but it's taking a backseat. It's going to develop for another year. I think Toyota... <coughs> Again, excuse me. It sounds like Toyota... Well, they've got a new crossover coming. We'll touch on that in just a second. Uh, but it also sounds like they're going to wait and see where the truck market shakes out. They're seeing, again, a lot of things are changing. Uh, we got a new F-150 that's coming out very soon. Uh, the Silverados and the Sierras came in. Uh, not a big critical hit. It sounds like GM is getting ready to change some of those critical mistakes that they made. The interior. Uh, and the Ram, you know, has blown everybody away and everyone's trying to chase that down. So Toyota, you know, I'm sure just slowly tightening their screws, figuring out what it's going to be. Uh, it sounds like the truck's going to get an all-new platform. Much needed. Uh, hopefully they're going for some lighter weight aluminum usage. Seems probably fairly likely, but again, it's Toyota. They might just go with lightweight, high-strength steel um, and just stick with that and call it good, which, fine. Uh, it sounds like they are dropping the iForce V8, which I think is a... Not so good move uh, in favor of a twin turbo V6, uh, kind of doing what the Ford thing is. Uh, I, I have a feeling that that's the basket that's kind of the one that could break apart at any second. Um, if they are developing a twin turbo V6, I imagine it will be an optional engine, but I just don't see any reason why they would ditch the V8 that they currently have uh, for another unit or at least an updated unit that seems more viable at this point just because the current one is so good like it's it's strong it performs in all the way it needs to um it's really just a v8 that lacks a good gearbox and with the land cruiser getting the new eight speed automatic more than likely that would be the transmission used in the new tundra i think that would be more than good uh, and it sounds like the new land cruiser would even be based on the new tundra as well so there's some interdevelopmental things that need to be figured out uh, before things move too far along uh, down the road. <coughs> Ooh, again, excuse me. Now, the big news is that part of the reason why things are being delayed is that Toyota is ready to roll out a new crossover. Uh, if you haven't been keeping up with things, Toyota is in kind of a weird flex right now when it comes to crossovers and SUVs. They've got the brand new RAV4, the best-selling vehicle in the United States that's not a pickup truck. Uh, that thing's going like gangbusters. They've got the Highlander, which is also one of the stronger-selling vehicles in the United States. They just got a brand new Highlander for 2020 that'll be hitting dealerships very soon. Uh, but then you get up to, like, the Sequoia, which is a pretty big gap to cross between uh, the Highlander and that. And then you get up to the Land Cruiser uh, into the Tundra territory, and it's kind of weird where things are at right now. And Toyota just needs to fill... A gap a little bit better and it sounds like 
They are going to be bringing back one of my favorite crossovers of recent memory. Ooh, boy. People don't like this one, but you're, this guy does with the thumbs. Uh, that's the Toyota Venza. The Venza's coming back, guys. Come on. Everybody get excited about the new Venza. Yeah. <sighs> well, uh, the Venza, if you don't recall, uh, was Toyota's... Uh, basically... It's a crossover version of a Camry in the same way that the Highlander was the crossover version of the Camry back in the early 2000s. I don't know if that makes a ton of sense, but I'm going to kind of explain where I'm at. Uh, the Toyota Highlander in the early aughts was basically just a raised up Toyota Camry. It had all the same switch gear. It had some changes in the visual style of the interior, but man, it had the same engines. It had a four-wheel drive system. I think it was the same chassis at that point. Uh, it, 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 it was what it is, and it is what it was. Uh, but then the Highlander started becoming something different. It needed a th third row, needed more seat space in the third row. It started becoming a much larger crossover. And in the end, the space that you ended up jumping from, you know, a Camry to a Highlander, as many people were doing, got to be quite vast. And so they ended up coming out with the Venza, which was more or less, again, a crossover version of a Camry uh, that wasn't quite as truck-like as the Highlander. Um, so the Venza rode kind of low, it looked kind of like a minivan, I had uh, two wide opening front doors, I had two wide opening rear doors, it did not have a third row seat, uh, at least I don't think it did, if it did, oh my god, how would anybody fit back there, uh, but in the end, you know, it's a vehicle that sold, uh, and when I, I, that's like a sold all lowercase with a period, that's it, no, no italicizing, no capital letters, just, mm, it did okay, and Venza's in the end, you know, have proven to be exceptionally reliable, pretty well-built cars that cater to a very specific end of the market, but the need and the demand for a two-row family crossover that was lower riding, that was more of a street-focused thing, just didn't really pan out. So Toyota jumped out of the market, they ceded that space to uh, the Ford Edge, things like that, and in the end, well, it turns out a lot of people want that. Uh, and the two-row crossover game is what's hottest right now. You got things like the Chevy Blazer. Obviously, you got the brand new Ford Edge, or at least the significantly updated Ford Edge. Uh, you've got, you know, Jeeps that are sliding into this segment. You, you know, everyone's in this thing in different capacities. So uh, Toyota apparently is going to be getting back into the Venza game. It's going to be a two-row crossover based on the Camry platform. Uh, but the interesting thing, at least that TFL talked about, is that the new Venza would be hybrid only. Uh, it would have a probably 2.5 liter inline four hybrid system taken from the Camry hybrid, put into this vehicle. Uh, it would probably pretty much be the same thing as what the RAV4 hybrid is, where you get the hybrid motor up front that drives the front wheels, you get the small electric motor on the back that drives the rear wheels, that way you get to call it all-wheel drive and people buy it in droves even though they might never need it, um, and it ends up being an extremely fuel-efficient, capable family hauler that uh, makes a hell of a lot more sense than somebody going in and buying a 4Runner. Uh, <coughs> oh my god, I'm dying, folks. Uh, in the end, We'll see. I don't know. It seems like you would have heard a lot more about a Venza happening uh, for TFL to just make this kind of uh, raucous uh, declaration that the Venza's coming as soon as Chicago or New York this year. Uh, I mean, 
as a Venza aficionado, uh, I'm very excited to hear news that the Venza could happen again. Uh, but at the same time, it doesn't seem like the smart choice for Toyota. The, the, you know, the Tundra sells pretty well. Seems like you'd want to get a new one, get a little bit more of that truck action. The trucks are what are growing in automotive sales the most uh, year over year. Uh, I think they had like, what was it, like 200,000 more sales year over year between midsize and full-size trucks uh, in 2018 to 2019. That is just insane. Uh, and Toyota not having a new truck to have to compete against Ram, Ford, GM, so many other ones uh, really seems like a short-sighted thing, even though the Venza would be really cool. So we'll see what happens. Uh, at least on my list of things, I'd love to see with the Venza, it, since it is on that new Camry platform, uh, is that it rides and handles like the new Camry. Uh, it's a very sporty sedan. I would hope that this is a somewhat sporty crossover. Uh, I would love to see it take... I don't want to say a torch to the uh, Mazda CX-9, uh, but I would love to see it compete directly with that vehicle. I think this is something that Toyota, on the roll that they've been on, is a very exciting prospect in a weird way. And again, it's another example of how I hate how much I like the idea of some crossovers that are coming out more than some new cars, but uh, a new Venza seems right up my alley. So we'll see what happens in the next couple weeks at the Chicago Auto Show. Well, before we give it the total wrap-up, uh, I do have one little bit of personal news to share. Um, I did accept a job at a local movie theater chain here in West Michigan. I'm very excited to uh, be Having any kind of job at this point after spending the holidays unemployed, uh, it's interesting to see how how personally affected by that you end up becoming. Uh, that being said, you know, it is an entry-level position, and I'm hoping to work my way up over the next year or so to see where things get. Uh, the movie industry is something that uh, I've had a lot of curiosity about over the years, uh, just the same with the brewing industry and so on. Uh, so... We'll see what happens. I'm excited. I my first day is tomorrow. Uh, we're starting on a Friday, uh, so you know movies come out on Friday. That's the way the world works. So that's going to be interesting to see too. Yeah, I'm I'm just very excited, and uh, I hope everything works out. Uh, but as we wrap up everything, you know this is the part where I say, hey, if you want to follow me on Twitter, follow me at twitter.com/ysman. Uh, you can follow along with episodes of this podcast at anchor.fm/ salvage title uh you can also uh you know do the things that you normally do with a podcast you like you share you subscribe you, you do all those things and that helps us be cool uh with one another <clears throat> uh yeah as far as other things go guys hey if you're in a part of the country it's going to be getting these uh, wild winter storms that are supposed to be coming uh just make sure that you are uh making good and safe choices uh don't do anything too crazy you know if you don't need to leave the house don't leave the house it seems like it's a pretty simple thing to do as i'm uh, saying these words i'm watching the snow uh actually it's more like sleet start to fall it sounds like we're supposed to be getting uh both uh freezing rain and heavy snow this weekend so there's a good chance we might not be with power for part of the weekend so this could be very exciting indeed uh but with all that in mind guys i hope you have a safe and wonderful weekend and we will see you on the next episode of the salvage title podcast see you then <laughs>